Like movies? Listen to the 430 Movie, available wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can visit us at 430movie.com. Uh, this is not Bill Shatner, but if you like the 430 Movie, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts, available wherever you listen to the 430 Movie. You might even find out what God needs with a starship. It's the podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Welcome to Disco Nights. I'm Chase Masterson, and here we are discussing the darkness and lights of Star Trek Discovery. We are the Torchbearers, and I'm happy to have you join us with TrekMovie.com founder, Anthony Pascal. Hey, Anthony. Thank you. And actor, writer, uh, and uh, nerdist, uh, uh, geek extraordinaire, Aliza Pearl, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Chase. It's so good to be here. I am stuttering because you are truly a, a great Trek expert. I've always enjoyed hearing your voice on this on, on this franchise in general. And I want to just start with you, Aliza. Uh, tell me your thoughts on, on Star Trek Discovery, where we've been and where we're going. Ooh, okay. Well, um, season one was a wild ride. Uh, for me personally as a fan, uh, season one like basically like the first two episodes just like got me and I was like this is amazing and then the next few episodes didn't as much so I was kind of torn trying when to give it a chance two, you mean the two-part pilot yes the two-part pilot and it was yeah it was partially because we're on the Shunjo and we have Captain Philippa Giorgio and Burnham as her commander and I was like yeah this is the show we're gonna see and then it was not that show <laughs> so it, it the the hard reset that we come in with in episode three and a lot of the the darkness and negativity really threw me for a loop so it took me a few more episodes of kind of being like I'm not sure about this I wouldn't like it and then finally when seven and eight kicked in I was like okay I'm back we're back on board. Yeah, it really turns everything we thought the show was going to be on its head. But I think it's even better. It's more. Um, you know, we don't have that classic structure that we've had with other other authority structures in Trek. Uh, we have, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, someone who's now been convicted, you know, a mutinist who's been convicted to life in prison who's basically running the show. And it speaks to her her guts, her instinct, her intelligence in, in, in every way, that those are the values that we hold the most dear. It doesn't really matter who gets the job done as long as it gets done in strength and integrity in this show. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, the, the show is, the, something that we're not as used to in Star Trek is the show is very much about Michael Burnham. And so not only is it focused very much on one character and her arc, but that the character isn't a captain. And even the other shows, the shows never really focused on Kirk or Picard. You know, or, I mean, there were whole episodes of Deep Space Nine where Cisco was barely in them. You know, you know, it's a, it was never so focused on one character. But when it, when, the, when it came right down to it, Cisco was still in charge. We knew who was in charge. Mm -hmm. Right. But it was more of an ensemble show is what I'm saying. That that, 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 that show more embraced the en ensemble cast, ensemble right. characters. Right. You know, yeah. and, there, and, and there would be, and certainly the structure during your era, um, 
you know, uh, starting with Michael Pillar, they would do character shows. So there would be an Odo show. There would be mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, a, a Rom and yeah. Romulan, a, a Ferengi show. And those are the ones you were mostly in, you know, and then there would be, you know, a Kira episode. Whereas Discovery is every episode has to move the Michael Burnham arc. And that's a good thing, you know, if, if you like that kind of show. It's just, it was different, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that was one of the things about the pilot is it wasn't a pilot. The pilot was the third it episode. It was its own. Yeah, it was its essentially. own. It was like a prequel movie, basically. So Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, the pilot of Discovery, I mean, what isn't in the, the two-part first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery? The USS Discovery. Yeah. isn't even right. in it. Yeah. You know? That so was the, our first clue. Right. <laughs> so so no. I think you're exactly a, a right. Change. It was kind of a a prequel movie of the show, which actually started in episode, episode three. Episode three. And so episode three was rough for me because here I am like, yeah, there's finally a black female who's the, the like lead of Star Trek. Woo-hoo. And then we get to episode three and everyone hates her. And I was like, oh my God. This I, is like... It was heart-wrenching to watch her get so much hate from everyone. It was relentless. And I think that was very purposeful because she's hated for doing something that she had a conviction about. Yeah, uh, and it's also a very, like, what she did was was not great by Starfleet standards either. Like, she really did kind of screw the pooch for Starfleet for a while. And it's so it was like... Ah, oh, this character is so flawed, which is good. We don't, you know, we don't want to paint broad strokes and have like good versus evil. So I liked her complexity, but I also was kind of frustrated with how much she was getting so much hate from everyone. Yeah, I get that, and I think they probably did that somewhat purposely Absolutely. because they knew that we are loving her. Yeah, and her convictions. Oh to man, it was rough. Though. The right thing at great cost. So, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting. It, it, you know, her committing this mutiny really brought up one of the key credos of Star Trek, which, um, well, at least in Deep Space Nine, it was very prevalent. And and I think it's a, an important lesson that we all, or an important thought that we all struggle with at, at, at all costs, at all times. Which is most important? Doing the right thing and following our heart and what we know to be true or following the rules, following the orders. Yeah. And it's not always the same thing clearly (laughs) in this day and age but I digress Anthony um more back to you tell me what your thoughts are overall as a piece and and where where you know what have been your favorite parts of season one well I I I mean I agree that the, the the season got better as it went along but I kind of I knew going in that the first two parts was not part of the show in a sense it was a different show it was introducing certain characters but it was you know i knew not to get too attached to certain characters because you know based on so much that c- came out yeah. you knew that some of these people weren't going to make it yeah. um and that was you know and so it was in a way easier to enjoy because i think it was a bit jarring if you were kind of expecting a traditional star trek of like oh this is the show and like no this isn't the show so right. I did like that, but I, I, I think that things really kind of hit the stride in the middle of the season. Um, uh, I think the best episode is the one called Lethe, which was co-written by Joe Minoski, who obviously is knows his Star Trek, yeah. along with Ted Sullivan. Um, I feel like that's the show that really started, was, was able to meet the promise of a show that's both serialized and self-contained. Because I think one of the issues with the whole first season, I felt, was like some episodes just felt like they were 
playing they, they knew where they were going and they were just moving the ball along a little bit further and the episodes didn't feel complete but there were a few ep- but but I, I I mean I really enjoyed it but I almost feel like um, the show's a great binge show like if you could just mm-hmm. go through yeah. you know 15 episodes in a week it, it's very satisfying yeah it's very satisfying yeah but over 14 line. weeks and then they had that hiatus in the middle it can be frustrating um, which is not, you know, I mean, other shows do that. Lost was famous for doing that. Westworld certainly does that. But I think the show is very bingeable. Yeah, and uh, you know, sure. almost, you know, for some people, especially if you get really into the lore, I think it's it's almost recommended maybe wait, you know, until mm-hmm. it's end so that you won't have these these weeks. But there are certain, there's some ep- great, great episodes in the middle that feel you know, that that dip into the lore. Um, yeah, there was yeah. the t- there was the time loop one, very Star mm-hmm. Trek. That you know, was that fun. was funny. That one I was like, okay, okay, here we go. The time loop one, which <laughs> was, was five or was uh, that five? So Leffy right? was uh, six. So that must have been and, five. And uh, was it? Yeah. Well, no. just speaking of Leffy, I just want to say I loved how they were able to show us more of who Burnham is because the more that we know about her, the more we deeply care about her and and I certainly we were all in by episode six but just seeing um, even in, in the, a later episode where we found out about exactly how her parents were killed and all of that 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 means to her and and how it informs her feelings um, it you know toward the end of season one just I just want to say that back to Leffy I appreciate that we heard and saw more about her family structure and mm-hmm. what happened in in terms of her getting into Starfleet, yeah, right, and it, ex- and it explained a lot. Yeah, we got to you know visit with Sarek, who I thought was well drawn in that episode. Yeah. I- I've always felt that Sarek as a character is a very interesting character, and basically he's he's kind of a jerk. Um, well, her feelings of betrayal, my yeah. God, yeah. I mean. Th- but that's nothing that. new, you know. Spock obviously had issues with Sarek as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's nothing, you know. So that, in a way, that fit. And later in the season, Sarek got a little bit too sentimental. I felt, you know, for what we know is his kind of, you know, lack of sentiment. Um, so I thought that that was really good. But there was a great character development for everyone in that episode. Yeah. I felt, yeah, you know, yeah. for Lorca. The, yeah. You know, I, I thought everyone. That was one of the episodes that like it, it had like lots of A B you know, you know we got some really good stuff with um, Lorca and his, um, we you know we find out Cornwell. that he used to date Cornwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he right. the phaser under his pillow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that, that was pretty intense. And and she, wow, she's a powerhouse, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. I I'm really glad that we're gonna get to see more of her. You know, I I'd really love to go back um, because episode six is fantastic, and yet we've we've missed so many great moments. So I would love to go just episode by episode if we could, just kind of sure. you know straight mm-hmm. through one one to fifteen, and and get your thoughts on, and feelings on on where these characters are 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 right now and 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 where they're going. Um, we've we've touched a bit on episode one, um, Vulcan. Hello. Uh, Aliza, back to you. Um, when when she first of all, when she killed Captain, George, uh, when I'm sorry, when Georgia, not when she killed, when Georgia was killed on the Klingon ship, um, this was obviously an, an extremely brave mission. Um, tell me about you know what were you feeling and thinking when you even knew that they were 
onto the ship and how we how were they getting out what would all of that mean to these two women working together I think to me like the most exciting episodes of Trek are when you're like what are they doing how are they going to get out of this right. and that was a, definitely a moment there where right. they're, you're just like okay we're like and it, was that in the second one or the first one where they get on the ship second they second. were like second. Making, oh i think they were making the plan in the first one making which the plan the first at one. that okay. point you're like okay so she'd already been you know condemned put in the brig and you know come back out and threaten the captain and yet here's the captain bringing wow. her on this yeah mission. and already we're like playing real not fast and loose but like they they really were like pushing the envelope with starfleet regulation and just yeah. right out the gate which is good actually because even though i'm very sentimental and i love the feel of tng being so perfectly um rules heavy and then when they break the rules it's for a reason sure, and they yeah. they they like you know inspect it from all sides and then you see it through the lens of each character's morality and then at the end there's a nice little packaged finish that's beautiful and i love it but we you know if we keep making star trek like that then it's it's not going to be interesting and it's not going to apply to our current you know our current society social climate yeah yeah so so yes like them taking those big risks in yeah. the very beginning of the show was exciting and i think i was yeah i was just kind of along for the ride at that point i i i watched it at the arc light like the yeah. um What's the... I saw you there at the premiere. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, at the premiere. Yeah. So I was also like, this is fun. So, you know, right. I watched it with that situation and that excitement and energy. So I was definitely taken in by those two episodes. Yeah. And the just for the pure action of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it that. felt like a movie. I was there too. Yeah. And, yeah, and, it, exactly. and it worked well on the... On the big screen, I mean, it, it had a huge budget. They really it blew looks through like a, a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah. On the, yeah. Uh, I mean, Star Trek traditionally throws a lot of money at the pilots, but that one was like, yeah, it was insane. Has taken really good care of this. Oh show. my god, when she yeah. does her spacewalk on the ship, the Klingon ship, and just that whole sequence of her like approaching the debris field, and it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. So gorgeous. Yeah, yeah I mean, the oh, visuals, beautifully shot. I mean, just you know, forgetting everything else. The show has stunning visuals. Oh yeah, yeah, and certainly, you know, something rarely seen on TV. Yeah. Now, un- unfortunately, um, HBO is throwing even more money at Game of Thrones, so yeah. Game of Thrones will always beat Discovery when it comes to the awards. Um, but just, it does. So yeah, not in the I mean, same in the same category. Yeah, in, when, in my book. So high fantasy versus high hard sci-fi. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they they get nominated in the same categories for costumes, for makeup, for visual effects mm-hmm. and, you know, so but at least it's in that, you know, at least it's being considered yeah. at the same level by both, ending, you know, the Academy so. <laughs> and by the various guilds. Um, so once Game get... of Thrones is gone, then Discovery's just going to like swoop right in, do you think? Uh, maybe you know, but then you get got Westworld the probably. I, mean, you know. I may get crucified by Game of Thrones fans for saying this, but I I don't feel that their action is always truly justified. I think that they have stuff that is just we don't need to see that. Yeah, and I I, I do that. feel that all the action on Discovery is justified. Oh yeah, and it's also I think it's better shot. I, I just do. I mean, we, you know, all of the stuff, and we're digressing here again, but all of the stuff between Laurel, and, you know, and all of all of that dark, sexual, painful uh, flashback is 
it's very mysterious. We still mm-hmm. don't know exactly what's going on. We know because he tells us. We know we because we see it in his face. And but still, I mean, it's 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 not in our face. It's certainly it's still a show that you can watch with your family. So here's here's a question about that whole thing because it is a very interesting question. The Laurel. Okay, so so yeah. obviously Vonk and Laurel were were in love in some ways. You know, she was and and. Then they came up with this plan to turn him into Tyler. And then Tyler was given, um, then Vok was given Tyler, who was a real person, memories of the dead guy. So they cap, you know, captured some guy named Tyler, sucked his memories out, you know, wow. using the mind sifter or whatever. And, but somehow through that, Tyler came away with these memories of these like weird sexual dreams and stuff. So here's the question like, was Laurel having sex with Tyler like after the transformation after the transformation and that's if so question. was that rape I mean if that's uh, yeah. yes number one if if that's the case I think Obviously it, was. it would be rape yeah and and is it therefore is he quote unquote responsible because because Vonk and Vonk you know and and Laurel had a relationship, but then she turned him into a human. Right. So now he's two people, basically, right? So, 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 but she kept on, she kept the, it seems like she kept the relationship. Or was he just confusing his real previous sexual relationship? That's what I thought it was. And they never really did it. Because otherwise, Laurel is a rapist. I think it was the former, or the the latter. I think it was that um, before Vok was turned into Tyler, um, those are the memories that Tyler was now accessing. He was yes, it could be a, he was confusing when he was a, when he when he was a uh, Klingon with mm-hmm. you know, but I I think it's possible that Laurel did do it because she was still in love with him, and it was she was even having hard time seeing him as Tyler and still wanted to be with him because she loved Vok. Got it. It's possible, and it'll yeah, be even more complicated po- yeah. at season yeah. two because now he knows. Mm-hmm. Who he was, and, and he, he went with her. And he he chose to stay yeah. with her, right? So, even though she was his abuser, but in what in in uh, and th- that is actually psychologically that does happen. Yeah, uh, it does happen in in the world. Unfortunately, it yeah. it is something. And and to what extent does the emotional abuse override the terror and horror of the sexual abuse? So at at what point? Is he a willing participant, and at what point is he just a, an abused person who's got Stockholm syndrome and is going along? Um, I'm sure a psychologist could explain it much more <laughs> thoroughly than that. But is, am, is I mean, this making sense? Yeah, yeah totally. no, we got. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you brought it up, so we got diverged because I think we're, we're we've already jumped. Oh yeah, the episode, we jumped away. So we're twelve, we're twelve minutes in, and we're talking about sex. Welcome to Disco Nights. Um, I'm going to go back because we do digress. Okay, yes. To, uh, let's, let's, episode three? Obviously, yeah, we haven't really f- fully touched on season one and uh, episode one or two, but the show is not that long, so I want to go get to episode three now. Anthony, chime in on that. Uh, episode uh, three. I mean, yeah, as, as I said, I, I, I mean, episode kings, three. Which I love that title. It's a good, it's what, a good what episode. What is Goldsman. Context is for kids. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty solid episode. It's not the best episode, but it, it was a good introduction to the USS Discovery and to my favorite new character for the for the series, at least until the last couple episodes, Captain Lorca. That was a very, you know, I mean, Jason Isaacs did a great job. That was a really well-drawn-out character. The ship was really mysterious. I think um, 
it was shot in a very interesting way. I mean, this is one thing that I like about the show, and it's something that Star Trek's done before, which is they they experiment with different formats, and there was kind of a horror format, almost a Cronenberg format to that show, because that mm-hmm. was the one where they they visit the sister ship, and there was all the weird bodies, and they were all like, you know, and then there was yeah, like a monster. monster yeah. And uh, so there's kind of an alien vibe. And that was directed by Akiva Gold, Goldsmith, uh, yeah. Goldsman, who... You know, who's one of the executive or former executive producers on the show and right. say what you will about him and as everything. I think I think he did a solid job as a director for that episode. I thought that was a that was a good job. So so, you know, I liked it. Um, you know, the, the Landry character was interesting. You know, just this. She didn't really. The thing about Landry, though, is she didn't really fit well into Starfleet, I felt. You know, she. You almost immediately felt like she was from the Mirror Universe, which was funny later on. Like mm-hmm. Mirror Landry was basically the same as Landry Landry. They're just both, <laughs> yeah, evil. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, she's bad, bad. She's bad news. Bad news, and not smart. Well, I think her smarts were more. She was a gun ready type of person, right? So she her just smarts, sold out. Yeah, yeah, like her smarts well, she were was just so like fantastic to I gotta, Lorca. I gotta win no matter what. Yeah, and that's a different type of it's self survival. It's it's very self serving, but yeah. Yeah, she she yeah, did not, not fit great. the way she treated the prisoners. There was yeah. a lot of things about that episode yes. that okay that just didn't feel very Starfleet. That's what I'm saying. That's what for me go. I know I already said this. Sorry, I'm gonna do another rant about no, it. But please. episode three really, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. And maybe I need to go back and do another watch through. But it was, it was very jarring from the first two episodes. Um, everything you said about yes, about Landry, about Lorca, about the horror aspect. I was like, okay, cool. That actually did interest me, and I thought that was a cool, interesting uh, direction if that's what they were going in. But then mm. it ended up not being the direction, so I, I just felt a little bit confused about what the show was going to be at this point in episode three. And um, because I'm an optimistic person and I love Star Trek, I was like, I'm going to keep watching this no matter what. <laughs> and thankfully I did because I think it sorted itself out. But it, it's, 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 yeah. it, I think it's a good episode when you look at it in the context of the season because it set baselines mm-hmm. for all of the char- for, for other major characters. Like, so Tilly came out strong. You know, you really got a good sense of who she was. And again, it's the start of her arc, right, where mm-hmm. she becomes more serious and able. You know, she's just a complete ditz in that episode but lovable and fun and Stamets is just a total jerk oh I oh, yeah. And, yeah I did but, not you know, like but him again, in that episode. you know th- I mean, th- that's the thing they were always playing the long game yeah. you're and, totally and right yeah. are you and the, the question for Discovery and watching Discovery is are you in for the long game so do you want to like these characters right away because Stamets obviously becomes a totally much more likable character. In fact, by Lethe, yeah. he's very likable. Oh, yeah. Because he's on the magic shrooms and he's just, you know, Oh, and yeah. Vul- you know what and it is? I would have been so vulnerable. pissed if they'd lost him. Yeah. I mean, oh, he's yeah. he's lovely. And he's lovely. vulnerable at that point. That's the thing. Like, Stamets comes in hot, episode three, with all the hate and the grumpiness. Right. And I was like, I, I think you're, I, like, I love what you said about, like, they set up these characters and their arcs. I think what was missing for me was, like, why do I care about this group of people on this show? It didn't feel like, again, maybe this is me emotionally comparing it to the previous Star Trek series, especially the ones from the 90s and even TOS. Um, but I, I, when I see Star Trek, every season, every iteration of it, you see why this ship and this crew is the best crew that there is for this, this you know, this yeah. instant. And I didn't see it. Like episode three, I was like, 
I don't like any of these people. I didn't even like Burnham a little bit in that well, episode. Well, yeah, because and, and there's a there's an almost an, ele- an interesting element of Burnham himself. Like, so we know Burnham. We we're supposed to like Burnham, right? Because we had the we're prequel. carrying her yeah. over. Right. So <laughs> right. now she's on this ship, and it's like, do we view this ship as as our new home for a season, or is this some kind of adversarial environment mm-hmm. for our main character? Are we supposed to be? afraid of the ship and all these people are do we not like any of these people because they're in opposition to burnham the way they're treating her um you know i mean even even characters i mean there's like little minor things like uh, there's this brief scene if you if you know the character detmer from the pilot um we see her she's the uh navigator con officer she's one of the bridge people the red hair or the dreads Red hair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she sees, she's one of the survivors of the Shenzo who ends up on the Discovery, totally gives, you know, right. the evil eye to Burnham as soon as she shows up. Right. You yeah. know, and it's just kind of an unwell, it's literally an unwelcoming environment. Mm-hmm. So as an audience, we have to kind of, this gets into the arc thing of, well, are writers- we, do, are, do we feel welcome on board this ship? When our main character is clearly meant to be unwelcome, but it's right. setting up the mm. arc. Of- it, it's, it's having us feel the fear and the the dread, the anxiety, all that Burnham feels, and yeah. that's the writers are taking us on that journey. You I know, have but- like a weird theory about this <laughs> now. Like <laughs> Go going back and rewatching some of the episodes, I think maybe it's as if Lorca's presence from the mirror universe infected that ship oh like he Uh, just going being the warmonger being the evil mastermind of all these things kind of infected the rest of the ship and then adding burnham to that just made it everyone was already primed to hate her and just be people were just primed to hate because of Lorca's presence well the way it goes it's a it's a science ship and it should be full of stamitzes and tillies you know kind of eager or stern serious scientific types and so yeah and 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 certainly Mm. Lorca and his little minion um landry are trying to uh infect infect the ship for war um weaponize the science yeah and and so yeah i think they were uh, i think they were overt about that like i think he was given command of it because he was a wartime commander you know i always saw him as a kind of Winston Churchill kind of guy, someone who you know who you you need in a time of war situation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We haven't discussed Saru yet, who I absolutely adore, both Doug Jones and Saru. And in that episode particularly, I was I was pissed that Saru was so tough on her, so tough mm. on Burnham. And and tell me your thoughts on him as a character. I love that he's got such a built-in vulnerability in terms of his you know they had been hunted they had been food basically mm-hmm. and how and we... in some universes still are yes indeed <laughs> um so i could say so much here i mean I, i've been a vegetarian since 1986 so I, I i anyway i just was really interested to hear from this person who was who who has been hunted and is now one of the people in charge and hunting mm-hmm. and that's such a Star Trek turnaround tell me about your thoughts on him as a character his vulnerability uh, and and you know all of that well I, I first I think every Star Trek show needs an, an interesting other yeah and who can both you know can I observe 
the universe for us and and also just be an interesting sci-fi character. And I think that you know, obviously they did an excellent job on Deep Space Nine with Renee and Odo, you know, and you had Data is the you know and Spock and every show needs to have someone like that. And it's a difficult challenge to create a character like that. Yeah. Because they end up being one of the more interesting characters in the show. Like on TNG, all the all the people pitching ideas wanted to write data stories, you know, because data was you know, and, and everyone loves Spock, you know, so pe- these are characters that become so interesting. And I think they did a I think they met the challenge. I think he's an yeah, interesting so character. Too. Yeah. They created a new alien race. You know, everyone's saying, oh, you know, stop going back to things we know. Like they they said, OK, here's a new alien race. Yeah. Here's a new character. I think they did a really good job on the makeup. Yeah. Thank God they didn't go with the original makeup. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but no. it's it's crazy. But the problem is, I mean, it's something Doug Jones could have done, but it was like this giant head with like a million eyes and they what? were all going to be CGI and it was going to be way intricate. But he would have lost all of his humanoid expressiveness you know he, he, it wouldn't have been his eyes you know so we, right. you know and, 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 so and, lovely, and barely he? his yeah. mouth yeah so as an actor of course we know doug jones can can work in anything right but in saru i think he's done some of his best work as yeah. an actor yeah. agreed um and you know he was he's you know people like doug jones and you know others who do either motion capture or makeup work don't get appreciated enough exactly. i think yeah Exactly. Um, but so no, I think it's a good character. They set up a lot of stuff for him. I think I think we're going to see he's going to have a very interesting art. I think the thing is going to really change for him in season two. I think he's going to go through some kind of transformation, some kind of weird Kelpian change in Ooh, season you mean like, two. Something, like a biophysical thing. Something's going to happen with him in season two. So I said, we've done some interviews with him. He's it's reading between the lines of things he's saying. There's something big coming for Saru. Well, first, I mean, we're going to be meeting his parents and or his sister. Um, they've already announced that. <gasps> Interesting. We're going to okay. visit his home planet. We're going to find out oh, cool. who All the, the Kelpian. Yeah. I, who the Kelpian? Because uh, you know, the Kelpians are the prey species, so obviously, you know, uh, there's a, yeah, there's a predator. Exactly. Yeah. And so now, now one of my favorite crazy theories. I don't think I, uh, I don't know where this came from. Is that um, the predator on the Kelpian predator are Kelpians like Saru. So like oh. certain rare oh. Kelpians go through a change where they go from pre- pre- uh, prey to predator. So and they're that, like Kelpian carnivores. And so, yeah, so sub, so Saru would like transform into a predator. Whoa. You know, and it wouldn't look all that much different. It would just be a kind of a transformation of his. That's wow. just a, that's that just a is, crazy wow, fan theory. Cool. He's so innately <laughs> gentle in his way yeah. that it. I can and see graceful. that being really disturbing. Yeah. Um, that's but cool. but wow. like like that happened with Odo. I mean, think of all the changes they they did with Odo. Yeah. Over you know, so I think that they are planning on. Oh introducing God. interesting lore to the Kelpians, and you know, so the fa- crazy fan theory aside, I-, I hope that we do see some interesting things about the Kelpians. So you know, there's so much potential there. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, that's that's really phenomenal. Um, I look forward to that. Uh, thank you for the inside info there, Anthony. Um, so some inside uh, info. We call some, this... some wild. Wild fan. Okay. All right. Wild speculation. And that's Wild speculation. Oh, we never have that. Okay. Well, thanks for that. And because the show is called Disco Nights, not Disco, I digress. We're going to move on to episode four, uh, where Cole 
earns the respect and following of Takuma's followers. Uh, Cole, played by the lovely Kenneth Mitchell, one of my favorite people on uh, in Star Trek, really. All these guys are wonderful. I just have to say, briefly, this this cast is uh, fantastic They're in person. Really they people. are so lovely, and one of the best things about them is they really appreciate the legacy that they're walking into. They really get how powerful Star Trek is, the history of it. They get that it's it's really not about us, the actors. It's about the stories, and it's about the the history. You know, the fifty years plus now that that the show has been so well loved and so groundbreaking and I think there's a huge amount of respect from this cast for that and there's a joy in that you know when they get to conventions it's like yay here we are wow we have fans and and it's not that it surprises them but it's there's a joy in it they really do appreciate this show and this fandom which is really nice to see and and they really have bonded fairly quickly as a family unit yeah they love each other they work yeah yeah you could definitely see, and the chemistry, therefore, I think works yeah. on screen. I think in, in some of the other past Trek shows, it took some time for the cast to gel, I think. Yep. Um, you know, Patrick Stewart jokes, obviously, about how, you know, they made fun of him in the first season and how he was so yeah. stiff and they were having fun. You know, but these apparently, Sonequa was a really big part of getting them to all bond and they would... Um, I, th- I, th- yeah. I think a lot of it is because it, it's shot in Toronto and very few of them live in Toronto. So it's essentially like location shooting for oh, them. Oh, that's a good point. And yeah. so, because, yeah. you know, when you're on a movie, location shooting is a great time to bond. It's, Definitely. Yeah. So very few of them live there. Most of the guest actors live there. but the There is a, a, a tendency to really bond together and... We always say location, not vacation. It's about work, but everyone's partying because we're all we have on location. Yeah, you're going in And I think there's probably an, an element of that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that definitely has radiated wonderfully from Sonequa. She's just yeah. an incredible human being. I've spoken with her, and her warmth and, and genuineness is so real. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things that she has said, and she said a lot of things that I love, um, but the, one of my favorites is that um, regarding like all the hatred that the show has gotten and the cast has gotten a lot of angry tweets and stuff, I'm sure we can all imagine what those are. Um, but she she just said, someone asked her, how do you handle so much hatred? Like, how do you handle that incoming just negativity all the time? And she's like, well, it doesn't change the way I do my job. It doesn't change... Um, like what we're doing here and what we're doing is making new Star Trek. Like right. I'm just going to focus on what we have and what we're doing and my love of it and our excitement and positivity. Just that's it. It, it makes the negativity irrelevant. Yeah. You know, so I, like, yeah. I, I hugely paraphrase what she said, but like love is louder. I just love, love that. Yeah. Stronger. It was basically like love is louder. Yeah. Positivity just cancels out the negativity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, and all that quote unquote hatred is, I mean, there's there's legitimate criticisms of the show. You could think about canon and format and pacing and consistency. But then, you know, there was a, a media blip, I think, bef- after the first trailer that came out, where a few media sites grabbed a handful of online trolls who weren't even fans of the show, who were talking about diversity and whatever, and turned that into something and then and then the media would talk to the actors about it and it became something bigger than it was when it was really just a handful of jerks who 
didn't even watch the show and the media turned it into something and in as a way they do yeah. as yeah as because what the real fans though. were obsessed with were the fact that the klingons didn't have hair anymore they didn't mm-hmm. care that you know that there were too many women on the show they were they I mean, they wanted more big hair klingons that was what they were upset about i agree you know, but i also think there were a lot there were there were enough of those people who were hating on it for dumb reasons to to that's why I said reasons like, like misogynistic. Reasons I said before, mean, yeah, I said before like I was kind of in a bubble watching it, so I didn't pick up on some of the things that other people had figured out. So it was all a surprise to me, like which was great. But the reason why I stayed in that bubble is because a year before the show even came out, people were hating on the cast and people were hating on the idea of just new Star Trek and hating on these things that I was like. I don't want to be watching Star Trek, something I love, with the input of all this negativity. Right. So I went in my little bubble, and I really right. enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, that's. A, <laughs> I mean, certainly there's a there's a you know old joke. You know, no one hates Star Trek as much as Star Trek fans. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's anytime there's a new anything. Yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine is a great example. Uh, People I was just going to say, hated yep. Deep if, Space Nine yes. in a, it, with a passion. I, I I just think some of the hate on Discovery, there's kind of this typical fan hate. Then there was this troll thing that was overblown. Then there was the yeah. kind of, it's new, it's different, I don't like that and, hate. And you're right. There yeah. were those select few special trolls who were hating on the doctor because she was a woman. And that, so I, I think you're right. Like, there is, you know, there's definitely, like, fan criticism that's valid. But then also, like, the super, like, vocal minority that's just kind of feeding. But I, I think the thing is, and we've seen this happen with Star Trek fandom, too, those vocal minority people empower fans who maybe wouldn't be quite as harsh or as vocal about their own frustrations with the show. They're just like, yeah, that's right. And also this thing. So I think it does kind of contribute to the overall negativity. I just think when people are, when people are are ragging on Star Trek or any powerful science fiction in a misogynistic way or in a racist way, I just feel like, what show have you been watching? Why do you even like this show? Yeah. I will be fully honest, and you can unfollow me now if you don't like to hear this, but when people are Trump fans or white supremacists, and generally these days that is an interchangeable term, I just think how can you possibly love Star Trek and all that it stands for, yeah. which is creating a better future because of inclusion, infinite diversity and infinite combinations and respect and how people belong because of who they are and cherishing the the diversity and the differences allowing and cherishing representation i just think what show have you been watching yeah why do you even like star trek is it because of the space battles well go watch i don't know starship troopers i it just <laughs> ooh, like i don't get that do you guys Absolutely. well i think it's overblown but yeah i mean well the Star Trek demographic is predominantly male, predominantly older, and so, you know, which is tend to be more conservative. And so there certainly will be a conservative element. The first, you know, and the yet, first the predominantly original... older, we had the first interracial kiss yeah. 50 well, years ago. Yeah, which which didn't go well with some people, but I'm saying the original the original series Why? was progressive, <laughs> but it was also militaristic. They were all vets. There was a, there was a lot about that show that People liked war movies. You know, you watch some of those episodes are essentially war movies. You know, right. balance. Well, you know, go watch balance a terror. of Patton. Uh, <laughs> you know, but go. I, I, I could know. see the appeal um, of the original series 
less lesser um, as much with the next generation, which was certainly more touchy feely. Um, but yeah, there, there are some fans who are fairly conservative, and that's that's fine. But there's you know there's a difference between. I don't think it's fine. I think you're saying the word conservative, and I think yeah, the word yeah. is racist and misogynistic. I think conservative includes a lot of stuff that. We're well, talking I mean, about, this episode but... certainly brought some of that out because we're talking about episode four, which introduced the character Culber, who's you know. Um, you know the gay partner yes. of Stamets. Yeah, we haven't touched and, base on that yet. You know, wrapping that was, it back around to the yeah. episode. Very nice. Um, yeah, you know, and you. and you know, in a way, for most people, for myself, I was like, you know, well, it was about time. You know, they should have done that on Voyager. They should have done. That. I mean, Deep Space Nine. Okay, there was a lesbian kiss on Deep Space Nine, but it was through a body swapping, kiss. like right. one episode. Yeah, barely, yeah. barely yeah. a peck on. And the, it was body swapping, and Dax is sometimes a man anyway. Yeah. Right. So, you know, yeah. whereas this is like, no, they are just 100 percent gay for each other. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it's not an episode about it. It's, yeah, like, it's not in a right. very special were, episode of Star yeah. Trek. It <laughs> right. was here. They are. They brush their teeth together. They hang out together. He's a doctor. He's a scientist. That. That's it. I love that. And they scene. love each the other. And they love each other very much. I know. I know. It's a great love story. It's a yeah. great, you know, they, they don't. You know, and you, yeah. So yeah, you hear some people saying, "Why are you shoving this down our throat?" It's like shoving. We're not. But do you who's shoving you what? Like, it's like two characters. Yeah, They're but just I mean, characters. Well, that's an interesting like, image, shoving it down your throat. I hadn't <laughs> thought of it that way. But, but I, if you, you know, I've seen that, that. If you want to go there, we've had to ban people from our site for you know typing stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. So the. So I, it's interesting I distinguish that you see it as between... a minority, though, because I, I don't know. I feel like there are a lot more people who are spouting that nonsense than w- I would be comfortable with. If it was just a vocal minority, then yeah. But I, I just I think a lot of people are leaning into the hate more and more these days because they want to get right, a rise Lisa. out of each other. They yeah. want to be like it's the the like Reddit 4chan type of like yeah. the economy of jokes and, and burns. And like the more divisive you can be, the more like, ah, oh, that's such a good burn. Like that's your currency. In a way, it, though. It, 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 yeah, this, the, there's there's two types of criticisms of the show, and I I almost feel bad for genuine like I have genuine criticisms of the show. Um, I think the show hasn't met its complete potential yet. Um, I think that uh, uh, and and so sometimes when you want to talk about the criticisms of the show, you have to distinguish because there there's kind of these crazy horrible criticisms of the show. And I mean, it's season one. I mean, we've only seen season one. Deep Space right. Nine didn't hit its stride, so, according like, to some people, till season what three? So, three yeah, or four. So I don't want to. I, so like I think you've really got to give this time, but I think it's been a yeah. very powerful season. Every one this so is far. the Star Trek curse, right? Like the first season of every Star Trek show. Not just Star Trek shows. The first season of so many shows don't hit its stride. Yeah. They don't hit right. their stride and it's for, a, combination for of, a couple of years. Yeah. And and it's not that you have to give it time. It's that there's some really valuable stuff in season one itself. It's not like we're biding our time. Right. This is a damn well, powerful well, show. I mean, let's, yeah. let, okay. The original, the first season, of the original series was fantastic. So there was that had no problems. Okay, it was rough. It was entertaining. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I don't think it was a perfect. It show. It wasn't a perfect show. It wasn't no. a perfect show. Season one. It was. I mean, season one. It was one, good. It was very entertaining, and it was it was groundbreaking for sure. You don't get the kind of dramatic change for you know season three was the bad season uh you know whereas on next generation season three is the good season you know so and deep space nine you know things got better as they went along so 
uh, it was I the mean, opposite. I mean, season two is great for the original series. The point is, the original series didn't have the same issues that the other shows had. Uh, yeah, it, you're right. It was although very they had a failed, and they the had original a season, failed pilot, the original which, series was not in a position where it was being asked to live up to right. the original series. Yeah. The original yeah. series was all new, and it was in against that backdrop that how could they fail? Yeah, it no, no. The, yeah, the original fresh. series had to go up. I mean, I, I, up not against... how could they fail. Of course, it was an incredible, powerful writing. But... Right. It, it was being compared to Lost in Space exactly. and The Twilight Zone. Exactly. You know, and uh, certainly favorably compared to both. Um, yeah. So. I mean, I, I will say, um, like, when I say, like, TOS first season, I I don't think it's a per... I, I think it still struggled in a way that kind of does echo down into the other seasons that come later. And for me, there were seasons, there were episodes of TOS where I wanted to pull my hair out. And, I, and then there are some that I'm like, this is brilliant. So I, what I'm saying is, like, uh, echoing what you're saying, Chase... We we're as Star Trek fans, we're more likely to give it a chance and to give it the space to grow. And we might still criticize and have valid criticisms. But I think what has been happening with a lot of fandom, especially Star Trek and Star, uh, Star Wars in particular, is just the negativity gets heaped on. People are piling on with negativity right. and hate. And I think they're being clever and cute and funny, but it's just it's not, just bullying. It's not original it's anymore just wrong either. It's, it's bullying. It's yeah. boring. Right. So, it, you're talking about toxic fandom. You're talking yeah, about gatekeeping. Right. And that's a. And in a way, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's been so much of that. I like to be able to talk, criticize Discovery in a in a in a way to say, I wish this was better. I wish that was better. Without Absolutely. getting into gatekeeping. Yes, right. For right. sure. Yeah. There's a difference between criticizing a, a show or asking more of it of any show. And saying, I don't like it because this character, you know, what are these gay characters doing here? Or what is this? Why is this woman here? I mean, that's completely yeah. another or even, category. Or the, of, I, I mean, that's like, why I say that the, 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 there's the other category, which is obsessing over um, the ship looks different. Why are yes, there holograms? Yes. <laughs> you, know, you know, why do the Klingons, you know, why are the Klingons bald? So there's yeah, the there's the whole fundamental yeah. fundamental canon. Yeah. Well, I element. guess there are and people who can't get past that because I like when we first saw the first looks so, like a year ago or whatever, or I guess less than a year ago now. I was also like, whoa, the Klingons look so different. No, I want my Klingons to look like Klingons. So I initially was struck by that and I expressed that. But then if you, you can be open minded and go on for the ride, then you see the Klingons have some really powerful messages yeah. for us. And one of those, yeah. I'm going to get back to season to episode four now uh, because we. We went disco. Way. We digress. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I. So here we are. Um, Vol has earned the loyalty of Takuma's followers, and um, and he leaves Voke to die. Now we have already. Now, 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 how did he? How did he get the the, the loyalty? It was rather interesting and somewhat grim. Yeah. You know where they were talking about eating. People, yeah, you yeah. know, in that episode, yeah, pretty which horrifying. you know is something that it, it fit. You know, it doesn't not fit with Klingons that they would eat their enemies, right? right. Uh, it was just a strong choice. It was just it like was pretty gross. Like not yeah. only is you know is the captain dead, you know, Captain Giorgio dead, but they ate her. And you I know. pick what was it like? Yeah. I, I pick my teeth with her compass right. with her. Com- yeah, you know, yeah. So that was that was that was like okay, and in a way. So that's the thing, like, okay, 
this is this gets back into the well we never heard Klingons doing that before but a show should be allowed to expand the canon should be allowed to expand the lore sure. so so this show and this is going to new darker places this is how bad they are this is our enemy this mm-hmm. is who we're up against these are the risks yeah it yeah. really sets your like, these Klingons lose. are we're going to we could get eaten yeah these are not yeah. your happy Right, you know, drinking no. samurai Viking Klingons. Right. These guys are they will dangerous. You. Right, yeah, right. And and so yeah, I think that this episode did set them up that way, and also showed us some you know, which is typical Klingon to say there's a little infighting, and it shows you know because mm-hmm. one of the big things the themes is is the whole idea of unifying the Klingons. They're clearly not unified. Um, right, you know, so they they're on their own arc. And this is this is an episode where we start to see that Laurel is on her own arc like Michael Burnham. Yes. And there's a lot of parallels. It, what's interesting is they don't meet until the last like 15 minutes of the last episode. But throughout the entire season, they have very interesting parallels all through the season. And of course, they're tied together mm. through Tyler and, and Vogue. It's no... You know, mm-hmm. right. And interestingly, I just want to get back to this uh, briefly, but we are already sympathetic to Voke because he's shown his vulnerability as been saying, you know, that he has always been marginalized and outcast because of the color of his skin. And so immediately we're like, well, you're a Klingon, but we feel for you. Yeah. So they're they're allowing us th- these conflicts of, you know, this compassion that we would not have ordinarily had for him because as uh as, as the episode says, because I see in you myself, mm-hmm. because each of us have been marginalized in our own way so we can identify with him having been left out yeah, just simply because of who he is. And and so I, I really appreciated that the writers are, are willing to go there and help us to have compassion mm-hmm. when we feel like we shouldn't, that we feel like we're at war with ourselves and it makes us question, well, you know, war and peace is not... A, a, always a, a black and white issue. It's not yeah. always on us to, to hate yeah. our enemies. It, it, I like that it's not broad strokes, like you said, like the happy Klingon singing, drinking blood wine and killing. <laughs> yeah. Like, as much as I love those Klingons, uh, <laughs> right. it's nice that they, yeah, we have Vogue and we have Laurel who have very specific um, differences and, and their uniqueness is Intricacy. what kind of drives them and ha- they, they yeah. have to fight against being marginalized. It makes us reflect, yeah. So... Uh, and And... and we also, this episode is the first one, well, after the pilot, where we really start to feel the Klingon war as well. In a way, one of my criticisms of the, the season is that they never really fulfilled the war arc. It was so much of, of before the whole season started was, oh, this is all about the war. And I thought it, you know, it was going to be like the Dominion War. We were going to get a lot of lore, a lot of, you know, the Klingon war... This is one of the only episodes where we really saw much of it, you know, where there was a battle scene and there's a battle simulation, I think, in this one as well. And we really see Lorca as a war commander. And, uh, you know, I think some some fans get into that. I get into that kind of stuff. I want to see people shoot at stuff in space. And I like a good space battle. Yeah. And they're really wasn't enough space battles in the first season so mm-hmm. I, I like yeah. that in this one and 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 then they use you know in this interesting space tactics yes. they're using the spore drive that's what it is the... it's all tactical I th- yeah I think but damn um, good space battles when they're yeah. there I mean and they, boy I think the 
They were more about like, oh, goodness. Yeah, the spore drive is gloriously beautiful. That, the, best the effects ever. on that. But yeah, I think it is because maybe there's not as much space battles because they're doing the tactics and they're trying to outsmart, outwit, um, kind of go around having to like have the confrontations. I think, are we if are we on episode six yet? Are we? I was going to go to well, I thought we to were still on. Live. I, I, I oh, was going to, we I mean, we, five, sorry. there's so much more to cover Which in one every is the one of these episodes. Pachem- Something episode four film. was the one with the, the where we can't skip over episode five okay, because there we five. have the inimitable Harry Mud. Oh right, yes, right. Um, who we adore, right? Yeah, I mean Very he, he Rain Wilson is just he's fantastic in this. It's a wonderful side of him as an actor that I don't think we've seen the the eccentricity, the vulnerability, the childlikeness, and the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, choose your pain. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, so chime in this with with me on, on this, guys. Harry Mudd is an interesting character because if the Federation is what what it's supposed to be, which is this idyllic, you know, world where everything you know everything's provided for you, there is no there's no want, there's no hunger. Imagine what it takes to be a criminal in that world, <laughs> right? You really, yeah, you, know, you are going to be, if not. A psychopath, at least a sociopath, right? If you're going to be a criminal in he the Federation, want any of those things. Mm. he wants right. power. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah, his motivations are an interesting. Yeah, does he want power? He hates authority. Right, he um, wants freedom. Yeah. Right, right. He wants to be respected because he never was as a child. Because mm-hmm. mommy and daddy didn't love him is the bottom line. But, 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 you know, more currently than that, he just wants he wants to be in charge. He yeah. wants to be the popular. He guy. wants his own. Uh, his own little uh, place to rule over. Yeah. Like his, you know, his domi- domain, his dominion. Right. Right. But he obviously rejects the morality of the Federation and the morality of working for the common good. He's clearly selfish, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. You know, it makes him a more interesting character, I think. Yeah. And in this one, I think they lean more into what is, you know, fundamentally you know, if they're if you are a criminal, you're going to be like that. They made it. He was more the lovable rogue right. on the original mm-hmm. series, and they kind of removed a bit of the lovable from this version. I think mm-hmm. Rain Wilson still brings that, though. I think you know we still not in this not in we, this episode that we want. He's to not see. very lo- he's, there's nothing not lovable, lovable, but you don't have to love someone to like them or. No, he's an interesting character. Or like someone to love them. He's Mm -hmm. you want to see more of him. We're drawn to him, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever he's on screen, and certainly you know the two of them, him and Isaac's together, two powerful actors, great together. You know, really playing well, good chemistry. Yeah, Um, very well written. So I thought those were you know really interesting scenes with them. You Mm -hmm. know, of the battle of wills between those two. Just the lovability factor didn't come in until a second episode. Um, and wasn't that a great surprise mm-hmm. when he walks out? That was brilliant. Well, we'll get to that later. I yeah, guess. go ahead. Well, no, we're still on. Are we? Are we jumping we to that one, or are we still on? More on episode five? five? No, or... I don't have much on. Because remember, this is when I was a little bit like not into it. Episodes like three through six ish, I was like, Ugh, I'm not feeling this. Right. So I, yeah, I didn't really enjoy these as so much. So this is the first. This is the first one where we. Well, this episode, you know, it had torture in it. It's pretty heavy. So this is yeah. again Discovery. They were the writers and the producers were saying, 
we, these are some of the issues. Star Trek has dealt with torture before. So, but mm-hmm. this just the level that this went it, to. And it jumps, like I said before, it jumps straight into all this darkness. So at this point, I was just kind of hanging on for dear life. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is this it's definitely show? the night's part of yeah. Disco Nights. It, it yeah. is very yeah. hard it's, to it's see really... the hope in this episode. Yeah. There's not a lot of hope. And we have not yet sung enough praise to Shazad Latif as an actor. Oh, um, yeah. I think his vulnerability. Well, that's because he it, was only introduced in this episode. Right. Right? Was it? Wait, are we on a... Well, he was Vogue, but never mind. But, yeah. Which I but just found out we, right, before. Right. Well, but, okay, yes. <laughs> yes. But he didn't, I just, he didn't I have much to do as Vogue. As, Vogue as, is... True. But, yeah. in, I mean, it was just really lovely to see his vulnerability and, 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 his, uh, and his strength, both. I think he's an exceptional actor, and really, uh, I don't think they could have gotten anybody better yeah. for this than he... He's. I think he's electric on screen, and, and he's. Yeah, we really followed him with our heart and wanted mm-hmm. to. You know, we're we're on his side, which is a tough thing considering where he goes later. Uh, but we we have to be on his side in order to care about what happens with him later. And mm-hmm. I think he enlisted us in this episode in a really powerful way. I mean, we really love him at first, mm-hmm. so it's hard to let go of that later. Yeah, and he did a, a great job with that in in these first couple of episodes. I I think despite my being frustrated throughout these episodes, the middle, the front middle episodes of the season, I I did appreciate a lot of the performances. I think yeah, I think the cast is really solid in general. So solid. So that, I think that also maybe kept me coming back too because I was like, well, there's some good performances. Yeah, I'll I think the Emmys should start to look at Star Trek again. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, um, or ever, but uh, but we digress. We, we're really good at that. Digression nights. So uh, episode six, are we ready for that? We kind of touched yeah. pa- base on uh, Lethe and uh, uh, Sarek and what happens when Burnham goes to see him and, and what she learns about her past and uh, she brings him back to safety anyway. Uh, you want to chime in that uh, on that at all? Well, I, I, this is another episode where we learn more about Vulcans. I, I thought th- this episode a lot of interesting little bits of lore in it where, uh, you know, because obviously Minoski's, you know, so um, uh, there's little tiny things like there's a suicide bomber and he's using an organic bomb, which is probably yeah. referenced to right. Star Trek Enterprise. And, you know, uh, Sarek was stranded next to uh a planet now it's now I'm forgetting the name of the planet but it was like a next generation reference so they 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 they, they peppered a lot of little references into this episode which I appreciate it but then also had kind of bigger lore things about Spock and Sarek's family and you know we learned it it, it felt right you know that yeah. th- that this did feel like um we needed the right more. Sarek. Yeah. And now we understand a little bit more about this relationship between Spock and Sarek and Burnham and why Burnham was in Starfleet. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I I really enjoyed that that aspect where they, they really leaned into Star Trek lore for this episode. And it felt complete as an episode. And everyone kind of – everyone had a nice little arc and – you know, mm-hmm. There was a lot of good little stories within yeah. it. 
yeah, really good stuff. This episode definitely started drawing me back in. Um, I love Vulcan lore, and I, I just, I, I love Vulcan so much. And we got to see Vulcan, and we got to see, mm-hmm. I mean, well, there's like, was that the moon of Vulcan, or is it Vulcan's sister planet, which was introduced into one of the books? We could debate whether they violated <laughs> canon, or they canonized <laughs> something that was in the books. Who Ooh. knows? Yeah. But Vulcan yeah. has no moon, so whatever was in the sky. It certainly is another. beautiful. It was yeah, it was yeah, really beautifully yeah, done. Good job on the visuals. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love, I yeah, I yeah, I love that we got back to more because yeah, I think the the episodes before were kind of um, establishing other stuff, so we didn't see as much of Burnham's story. So I yeah, Lath or however you say it brought me back in because it was like okay, now we're learning about um, Burnham's connections and and what her yeah. what she is sprouted from and why she is the way she is. And then maybe seeing where yeah. where she will go. Really, really beautifully important. Um, we Unfortunately, just got a few more Joe Minosk, that's his only. Um, that's it. For that's him. the one that he wrote so he, far. No, he's he's, he's not gone. on season two. No, he's oh, working. He's working know. with Bran Brog on on the Orville. Ah. So. Well. He's gone. That was a silly move, Joe. All right. <laughs> um, all right, so... Or, I'm sorry, Next Generation Season 8. Magic to make the sanest man go mad, where we are back with our inimitable Harry Mudd, who we love to hate. Um, is this the time loop episode? Yes. yes okay. it is. This was fun, but I have a complaint. Yeah. <laughs> I do not like pop music in my Star Trek. Oh. I don't think it belongs. And in that party scene, they were playing some, like, freaking... 90s club hit and I was like no 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 oh, that's such oh a it, was, it was of, they of just needed sci-fi to movies of like people in the 20 <gasps> people in the 24th century or 29th century are always fans of, of popular music like yeah. hey this right. thing from way back in the 21st I century they're just really like us don't like that. you know that's yeah. that is, you know start yeah. to you know, but, Discovery but, did not invent that trope. I know, but in Star Trek, it doesn't happen. It's usually classical music or some type of like um, people's music. You know, it, it's not pop music. It's not popular. Right. Ugh, I don't. I don't like that. This it, whole it vibe really where you know, me. and then Tilly's drinking and and whoops, over talking even more, and all of that is is. It's just the vibe, I yeah, think, that they're setting. But I, it's a, it, I think it's a fun yeah. episode. It's it's something. It's nothing new. Obviously, you you know, it, it, for Star Trek, time loops are not new. Yeah, Groundhog I Day is that. not new. I love that. About, but I they still were able to do new episode. things with it. Yeah. I thought. Mm-hmm. So, so speaking of time fun. loop, here we have at time loop and Burnham reveals. We've got yes. this incredible moment where uh, Stamets reveals to Burnham and Tyler that in one of the time loops they danced together and kissed. So how do we feel about that? That is the, you know, it. and this is uh, obviously in the midst of, of Tilly having this attraction to Tyler, but it looks like this is, you know, a huge revelation for for everyone, especially Burnham. Because mm-hmm. I was shipping them very early on. So, yes, I, I was I was very okay. much a fan of that. Happening. OK, OK. Male point of view, Anthony. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't really care. Okay, all <laughs> I right. Mean, it was fu- it was fu- it was good character development for her. I was already starting to get the sense that there was something odd about Tyler, mm-hmm. and so I figured there was going to be some interesting stuff to explore there with them, you know. And uh, so you know, I thought it was good character development for both of them. But I'm I'm not I've never been a shipper, as it were. Get uh, for- on the ship. 
Get on yeah. the ship. Get on it. All right. <laughs> but and I finally, appreciate a good ship. And finally, we can discuss the ship between Harry Mudd and uh, his beloved Stella oh, and God. her father, who he, it looks like he's going to spend eternity or at least until he can get away. Stella was so nice away. in this, though. I know. She was so lovely. He's trying Stella. to, like, run away and from her? What? Yeah. 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 It was very unclear what... He was, yeah, what? But I think that's the thing. Like, he, he didn't want to be something... tied down, right? This is it's what happens like... with, yeah, with that people the... who can't want what they have. Yeah. They always have to have more. And that's, I think, what we've always seen from Harry Mudd. Well, he just doesn't mm-hmm. like and rules. He doesn't women. like the rules of family. He doesn't mm-hmm. like the rules of the Federation. Right. He just wants to. He's um, never going to be happy. And, be a, a space and the women pirate. who love them. So um, that's just, it's a, an interesting picture. Really interesting to see if and when and how he gets away from Stella and what he's up to next. I mm-hmm. hope to see well, him Well, we're going to learn a little bit about what he's up to in... Oh, yeah. Uh, short uh, Trek. Yeah. It's, uh, next month is uh, the Short Treks. Is it next month? Oh, right, right. Well, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It's it's in January. His episode's in the January. Last one, the third, um, January 3rd. And it's going to be funny. It's written by... The Rick and Morty writer who's doing the new animated comedy for Star Trek. Mike McMahon. Mike McMahon. Oh, man. Um, McMahon. McMahon. It's A N, so right. McMahon. Anyway. Yeah. You know, and uh, Rain Wilson directed it, and he said it's going to be funny and weird and strange. So I'm really cool. looking forward because I think they, with these Star Treks, they're trying to do more of these like experimental things. You know, the one last month was. You know, like a, a little character study. We need mm-hmm. that in the midst of all this darkness and yeah. the, the heavy plots that are, you know, really mm-hmm. uh, just a little like amuse bouche. Exactly. Two. Exactly. Um, just something, one, some relief. One of them dropped today. No, uh, it was. It's called Calypso, I think. Yeah, that that comes out tonight. And it takes place a thousand years into the future. Very curious well, about that. Well, it yeah, it it might. It we, might. Who knows? What? That's what the Star Trek social media said. <laughs> well, we can get into that later. And oh, the Star Trek okay. social it, it, media is... Uh, oh, okay. Well, you mean the actual... No, yeah. They, that's what they said when they tweeted it out. The trailer gives you the impression, yeah, that, that, it, that, that it's set a thousand years oh, in the so future. Saying, it might be. It I'm, might I'm, be an illusion. I'm not saying I know anything. Well, no I'm just inside saying, info. Who, know, who, knows, who knows what it is? They certainly left enough morsels out there for us to look forward to. And I I, I think I've, I I speak for many when I say I'm really excited about this show and where it's going and yeah. uh, looking forward to more. Also looking forward to our episode next week when we will discuss uh, episodes 8 through 15. Uh, today, uh, thank you for being with us for the first seven episodes and an overview of the series. Um, Anthony Pascal and Eliza Pearl. And I hope you will join us next week for Disco Nights, discovering the darkness and the light of Star Trek Discovery. Join us and we'll see you then. I'm Chase Pasterson. Thanks. Thanks.